HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, my name is Sam Ben Ruby, and I'm the host of The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. With this show, we bring wine to the people. Each week, we bring the best guests in wine on, taste different wines on air, and invite our listeners to taste with us. You'll find our approach to wine decidedly unsnobby. You can find The Grape Nation wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Taylor Parsons. I'm a um, <clears throat> sommelier and uh, restaurant consultant from Los Angeles. And um, I have the distinct honor of sitting up here with uh, two of the greatest winemakers in Georgia. Um, this is Iago Vitarishvili from Iago's Wine. Um, and over there is Zurab Migvidliashvili. Did I say that right? No. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you say it. Oh, Migvidliashvili. Yeah, okay. Um, another fantastic winemaker and the head of the uh, Natural Wine Association in Georgia. Um, these two guys are responsible for a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. <coughs> and I want to preface today's talk quickly by saying... We had intended to make this discussion about Quevery wine and aging, and unfortunately we're unable to get the wines we had planned on in time for this seminar. <clears throat> so we uh, chose to discuss something that is equally, if not more important, which is the Georgian context today. Um, I think I've been going to Georgia for five years now uh, on a once or twice yearly basis, <clears throat> and I can I can... I can say that it's hard to put into words the, the transformation that has happened there over the last 5, 10, 15 years. And I really believe, along with many people that go there frequently, that Georgia is really at kind of an inflection point right now. And it's extremely instructive to think about why uh, and also to consider uh, why it's important that we support Georgia right now. Um, we're going to talk more about this as we get into uh, the discussion, but <clears throat> Georgians, in addition to being the cradle of wine, the, the origin of winemaking as we know it, in addition to keeping uh, alive over eight millennia and near constant invasion, a winemaking tradition, um, and in addition to integrating into their culture in a way that is really astounding, um, they're also under current threat from Russia. Um, and wine is a big part of that. Um, and they use, like they have for 8,000 years, um, they use wine as an instrument of resistance. And it's, as a student of history and a student of wine, I find that incredibly interesting. So I wanted to make sure we talk about that today. And these are two guys that know more about that than anyone. Um, so thank you guys for coming, first oh. and foremost. Thank you for coming. It takes a very long time to get here from Georgia, so it's a big sacrifice for them, and I appreciate it. Um, I'm not going to talk too much. I want, I want them to do most of the talking, but I do want to set the stage a little bit. Um, is everyone pretty familiar with where we are when we talk about Georgia, Wh what it is, how many people there are there, 
So Georgia, just to set the stage, it's a country of a little less than four million people. It's on the east side of the Black Sea. Um, sort of a fulcrum between the Far East uh, and the Near East and uh, Europe. So um, it's about the size of West Virginia in terms of surface area and it's extremely mountainous. Greater Caucasus on one side, lesser Caucasus on the other. Another major mountain range called the Leaky kind of bisects the country in the middle. Um, <clears throat> in the east side, it's a continental climate, subalpine. There's very tall mountains, river uh, basins. Um, it's relatively dry and on the west, it's subtropical. It's like strikingly green, super mountainous. The variance in this very small country is, is really astounding when you're there. And the wine styles are totally different. Um, so we're gonna, we set up a, a range of wines in this first flight to kind of illustrate that. And we'll talk about those in just one second. Um, you have anything to add to that? Not yet. Okay. So uh, we're gonna start with a wine. Um, it's glass one, I believe, you're the port left to right. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, left to right. Okay, so the first wine in your glass, um, and we'll, we'll get, loop back to the history a little bit. The first wine in your glass is a wine uh, from Vino Martville. Um, this is a grape called Krakuna. Um, Iago, could you tell us a little bit about Martville and Zaza and what he does? It's a part of the West Georgia. And uh, more our wine, Georgian wine, maybe you know, it's uh, from East part of the Georgia. For example, where is Zurab? Uh, winner than seller. Uh, but uh, why is Georgia interesting also? Because we have many local grape varieties and uh, all region is very interesting. So the winery is in west part of the Georgia, the region name is uh, Samigrelo, but this grape variety is um, more in in Emirati region. It's also West Georgia, but it's in their neighbor regions, yeah? Uh, and th this grape variety is more characteristic, little bit high acidity, which is characteristic for West part of the Georgia. And uh, from there, we, it's better to make, not better, but uh, it's easy to make, for example, no skin contact or less skin contact. We know if we go from east part of the Georgia to west part of the Georgia, the skin contact and stems are less and less. Yeah? And it's also depend on the grape, depend on the terroir. And um, uh, for me, the Krakuna is one of the best grape variety from west Georgia. Yeah. The, the east-west divide is, is kind of a central piece in understanding um, uh, in, in developing kind of a foundational understanding of Georgian terroir. Um, on the west, as Iago was saying, much wetter climate, less skin contact, um, and the food, unsurprisingly, is also much spicier. The food in West Georgia is super vegetable-driven. It's very spiced, very super flavorful, whereas in the east, it's a little bit heartier. It's a little more of a, I think of it as kind of a shepherd's cuisine. The east is like meat and cheese and bread and the West is a lot of vegetables and spices, and it's very clear. And so the wines, they kind of match that beautifully. So in the West, that first wine, um, that only sees, well, it sees, it sees maceration, but, but limited. Um, and then the next two wines that we're gonna taste uh, see a fuller, longer maceration with skins. Um, Surab, would you tell us a little bit about Kakheti on the East? This is the major region of the East. So we, uh, we are the biggest region, as Iago said, in, in winemaking of Georgia. Um, we make more, like 70% of the wine in the country. And the mostly uh, the, the widespread method of winemaking is skins, stems, everything together, sometimes leaves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we just crush them together and ferment them uh, and of course, we all ferment them in query. Does everybody know what query is? Yeah, that's clay vessel. Do you have? Do you have it? I have a photo. Okay. Oh. Sure. We have the photo, but we don't have the. It's it's uh, it's not amphora. It's a different thing. It's used for different. You know, Those are query. 
but in Georgia, they're buried in the ground. Yeah, that, that is also a big difference. So, um, yeah, mostly it's fermented with skins and stamps, and it stays there at least six months. We open them, like, in the spring, when basically nature starts waking up, temperature changes in the ground, so you have to remove the juice, the wine, from the skins. And then remove, take it to another quarry, maybe, or steel tank, it depends whoever is doing it. We also have no skin contact wines, rarely, but, but we have it traditionally. But there are now more people who are you know, experimenting and doing no skin contact Cajetian wines as well. Uh, I do, for example, two of my wines are with no skin contact. So this is not the most traditional way, but I think it's interesting. So we get more uh, like new wines out of this method. Yeah, it's also yeah. important because uh, when you have the two wines and same grape variety, one is no skin contact and second is with skin contact, yeah. the people understand what is the difference of the technology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what considerations do you make? What changes to your winemaking when you're making with skins and without? Uh, what was the question? What do you make any changes to your winemaking? If you're, are you are you making that decision in the vineyard? Are you choosing to pick a certain? Uh, block sometimes that that decision based on what what empty query do I have, you know, because <laughs> uh, our cellar is not big enough to hold everything, you know. Yeah. So sometimes that's what drives you that you know you don't have, like you have one ton of grape and you only have 500 liters of curry. So you have to do direct press in order to uh, make the wine. Sometimes you, I just think that I'm, I'm just you know, wondering what we're gonna get out of Saperavi with no skin. Because Saperavi is very famous um, a grape and the wine, but most of the Saperavi, probably 90% of them are made with the skins. So I started making it like last few years, like three years or something, and it's giving, it's showing itself really, really well. Malchas would agree with me, yes? Malchas. <laughs> <laughs> no, he disagree. <laughs> and it's also one point, uh, for example, especially for my region, if, if we make from one grape two different of the wine, for example, no skin and with skin, sometimes it's better if we have harvest for no skin a little bit early. Because uh, for with skin contact wine, we need ripe, more ripe grape, more ripe stems, and sometimes it needs a little bit more time. And if we wait a little bit, for example, in my region, if in Arcatitelli always is ripe, the stems, but not for my grape, it's a grape variety Chinur in middle of Georgia, and sometimes we need to wait really long, late harvest. And if I, if I wait longer, the acidity a little bit go down, which is not good for no skin contact. Mm. And because of this, for example, uh, in Kartli region, in my region, we have little bit early, little bit early harvest for no skin contact. And for with skin contact, we little bit wait for ripe, all grave, physiologically ripe. The stem, skin, and everything, yeah. Because of this, more skin contact has a little bit high alcohol, yeah. Hmm. That's actually a good segue to the second wine, which is Chunuri. Um, just to recap what these guys talked about just a minute ago, I wish you had a map in front of you. Um, but uh, in, the, in the western part of Georgia, the primary region is Imereti. In the eastern part of the country, the primary region, the only region really, is Kakheti. And in the center, there's this other region, Kartli, which is where Iago is from. Um, and in Kartli, the primary grape variety is a grape called Chinuri. Um, Iago is the best known producer of Chinuri. I'm extremely bummed that we don't have an Iago wine to taste with you today. We have the table, please welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his wines always sell out. I think one thing that I did want to, um, to, to raise before we talk about the Chinuri that's in glass two um, is what Zurab was just saying about running out of space. When I first arrived in Georgia, um, whenever that was, five years ago, <coughs> coming from more of a classical wine background, I was really stunned at how few wines saw Long Elevage or you know, hung out in bottle before they were sold to market. And it became very clear that the 
traditional, natural, artisanal wine industry, the commercialization of that industry was so young and that the resources and space that they were dealing with was so limited at that time um, that it was necessity that drove that. And now, even going back three years later, four years later, you know, I was talking to Iago. Iago, how many bottles of wine did you make when you started? 600 bottles. And that, that was what year? It was 2003. 2003. And now how many bottles do you make? We, we're still one of the smallest winery, but we have 10 times more, for example, 6,000 6, bottles. Right. Yeah. Um, and you see that all over the country. Producers where you visited three years ago that were making 500 bottles are now making 2,500. And there's an immense amount of growth. Iago told me earlier when he started making wine in 2001-ish, uh, there were 24 commercial wineries in Georgia, and they were all huge, massive industrial wineries. Now there's a thousand small, independent growers making artisanal, traditional Georgian wines and commercializing them. And beyond that, there's maybe 100,000, 200,000 home winemakers making wine in their houses, a lot of whom will be commercialized within the next few years. Like, people are making wine sometimes in the town, like in their house, in the bedroom maybe, but they, need, they want to have wine. In 8th floor it's, or 10th floor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. In apartment I'm not joking, yeah, really. Yeah. They love it so much that you know, they cannot imagine their Supra, which is fish, yeah, without wine uh, that they made. You know, that, that is not the maybe best wines that you can drink, but still it's their yeah, love you know, to this. What, what we need to say, you, uh, what is the connection for Georgian people has, uh, with wine? For example, when we go to airport, go here or go somewhere, the taxi driver asks where we go, and if we say we go to somewhere to wine fairs, they are very happy and they start to talk about this family, how they make wine, and when we come to the airport, they, need to, they don't need to take the money because they are also happy for when Georgian wine is outside of the country. When you go to customer's place for see the passport, they also ask, and they, he also is yeah. happy. Yeah, it does not matter who, which profession they have. Yeah? Everybody has a connection with wine with his father or with his grandfather and everybody like it. It's a part of the culture and part of the life. Many people don't believe when all our neighbors, they make wine, they don't sell, but yeah. if you ask how many his generation make wine, his question is not understandable for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The why everyone makes wine? Yeah. That's why everybody tried to make some wine for themselves. Yeah. It's much better than uh, if you buy a shop. It's also an important point because, for example, I remember that many people ask me why, for example, I don't sell in Georgia because it's very limited and all our wine go to export. And many people ask why I don't sell in Georgia. Because when I start, the Georgian market for bottling wine was zero. Why? Because nobody liked bottling wine, because there was only huge winery, and nobody likes this wine. And if they have the wedding or birthday party, they always use homemade wine. And only after that, when small wineries start to bottling and selling wine, the culture of the bottling wine has changed in Georgia. For example, in 2010, maybe the wind on the ground we had the 8,000 years old tradition of the making wine, but first wine bar in capital city was in 2012. Yeah? It's <laughs> unbelievable, but it's, it's realistic. And only after, the, and now it's every corner, it's a wine bar in Tbilisi. And this small winery and mostly natural winery who made query wine, they changed the culture, not only in Georgia, maybe here also, when, if we ask, when you tested first query natural wine, it will be maybe after maximum five years ago. Yeah? Mm -hmm. You can say also that before 2005, maybe, or 
four. Uh, there was no natural wine in the bottle. No wine. You couldn't buy a wine in a bottle. So first... You yeah, couldn't buy a natural wine. Yeah, you could, like homemade natural wine. Yeah. No, never in the bottle. So all the wines were from the, coming from the factories, basically. And Yago was one of the first who did that. You know, you couldn't buy a bottle or a cork or, or a label. Or, it was not possible unless you produce 8 million bottles, I don't know. Yeah, so Iago made it. Iago Solico was. Uh, these were the two first guys who bottled the wine, natural wine, and sold it outside of Georgia. And it was Italy who took it first. Natural yeah, wines. it's uh, w going there for the first time and seeing. You know, the first place they took me in Tbilisi was. Uh, formerly State Wine Factory Number Something. Yeah, yeah. number one. And it now, it now produces nine million bottles or ten, some somewhere, some a very large amount of wine every year. And you go, and the tour guide catches herself saying "wine factory," and then it's like, no, 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 winery. And it, this was a privatized, formerly state-controlled operation. And you go inside this thing, and they haven't changed a thing. The tanks are huge, cast iron tanks, massive, like as far as the eye can see. It's a factory, a full-on factory. And so you go there and you realize that there's 20 producers making 5 million bottles plus every year. Yeah. I mean, and some of them are making 12, 13, 14 million bottles a year. And then there's 150,000 people making home wine and then like another few hundred each making 500, 600 bottles a year. There are very, or there were at that time, very few, what we would consider like a mid-sized winery, like a regular size, 60,000 bottles, 80,000 bottles kind of winery, very few. There's still very few, but they're, they're coming up because all these producers that five years ago or six years ago were making 1,000 bottles a year and now making 5,000 or 10. I and mean, it's very, very encouraging because they're, they're, they're using all of the same techniques that they used to make 500 bottles at a scale that's slightly larger, and they're getting support with corks and bottles and things that were really hard to get even five years ago. Yeah, yeah and the same also query, the clay vessels, which we call the query. Yeah, as Zula said about this. I remember when I buy first my query, I pay $100 for 2,000 liter capacity, and it was expensive for me. But if you need buy now, it's minimum one thousand dollars, maybe. Yeah. yeah I mean, and it's difficult to find. Yeah, you have to wait a year. Yeah, a year, you have to one year on two years. Yeah. 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 The change, the change has been has been really dramatic. Um, let's taste the second wine. Tell us a little bit about what Chinuri is and what it should taste like. And this is the best Chinuri from this winery for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Chinuri, it's, uh, you know, we talked about the region. Yeah, Georgia is a very small country, you know, and uh, uh, Chinuri is uh, currently the middle of part of the Georgia, where it's also capital city. For example, my winery is uh, around half hour from drive from the capital city. And uh, the pheasant stairs, which one we have, second wine, he has vineyard near, near to me, yeah? It's a Kartli region. With Chinuri also, it's a very interesting story. I have a very interesting story. For example, in 2008, uh, I started making Chinuri whisk in contact. Maybe last 100 years, everybody made Chinuri no skin contact. Because period Soviet Union, they changed their mentality because Many wine made from Chinuri was sparkling wine, like champagne. And the people also start to change and start, they start make like European style or like this. Of, of course, they, many people use a query, clay vessels, but no skin. And why, for example, I start in 2008 Chinuri with skin contact? not only for different kind of the product in the market, no. Because of the philosophy of natural wine, this skin contact wine, it's more stable wine himself. For example, they don't need our help. We talked about the skin and stamps, 
they are together, and during the fermentation, this kinase stems is upstairs, and uh, we have the query shape, special shape, which helps for filtration, because after the fermentation, this kinase stems slowly go down, and it's natural filtration process. And it's a one first point, and second point is uh, during the five or six months, from the skin, from the stems, go to wine, many different ingredients, the ferments, phenols, tannins, wine change color, testing. But these all ingredients, they work like natural conservants. And we can keep this wine longer with any different white wine. For example, tannins is one of the ones which is preservative, basically. For yeah. The, yeah. When I make chinuri, I also make now a little bit 5% from my production, no skin. I, many times I have the problem because it's I, nice, it's nice, I like, but it's need a little bit my health to adding a little bit more sulfur for a little bit of filtration. But with skin contact, it does not need my help. It's really naturally process of the making one. And uh, this is uh, two months maybe skin contact here. Yeah? Yeah, three months. Three, three months, vintage 2018. Uh, and the color also. If we will be have the color uh, the wine from east part of the Georgia, for example, where is the Zurab, mostly from Karkatiteli or Kisi or Khichwi, the wine color is more dark, more amber. Sometimes uh, the Bacinuri always is a little bit light because the color also depends on the grape variety. Not many different grape has different color on the skin. Yeah? different phenols, and uh, also depend on the vintage. For example, some vintage is light, some vintage is dark. Why? Because if we have high acidity, the color is light. For example, if we put the lemon in the tea, it will be light, yeah? And if we have high sugar and low acidity, the color is dark. It's a characteristic for Cartley region, because for Kahetia, for East Georgia, always is amber and uh, because, uh, because of the grape variety and because of the climate. Yeah. Glass, glass three on the right is a Kahetian wine, the, the final wine. So you have the left glass is Imereti, center is Kartli, and the right is Kaheti. The glass on the right is, uh, is another wine from Pheasant's Tears. Um, it's from 2018 vintage. It's Mitzvane. Um, <clears throat> this is interesting. This wine is interesting for a few reasons. Um, most of which is because it's from a very old vineyard. This is from a 70-year-old vineyard, um, which is quite rare in Georgia. Uh, Georgia underwent <clears throat> literally from the 4th century BCE endured a constant stream of invasions from every surrounding power. Straight up through the Russians in uh, 1800 was when they marched in, right, 1800? Each, each of those powers, uh, either because they were a teetotaling culture or because they felt that the Georgians were getting their strength from wine, um, they ripped out vineyards. The Russians were the latest to do it and they forced vineyards to be planted in the flats they restricted plantings to Saparavi and to Urkatsateli, the two highest yielding varieties. So a lot of old vineyards were lost and were not maintained. So it's very rare to see old vineyards and there's more and more of them being found and rehabilitated. Um, but one of the interesting things about this wine is that it's a 70 year old vineyard. Um, three months of skin contact, which is pretty light for Kahetian wine. Um, but Mitzvani is a more tannic Variety than Chinuri, is it not? Yeah. More yeah. thick skinned. Of course. Yeah. So, Zurab, would you take us through this wine a little bit? Uh, I would say that this is not really typical Cajetian wine flavor that we have in this wine. How so? Yeah. M maybe because it's, I don't know, grape or the, the three, three months or something, but uh, Cajetian wines are more, like as Iago said, the, the color is also like darker. And the flavor is more like a stubble, not like this, or maybe with tannins, yeah. clearer, definitely. 
Only, so. only a Cajetian would say that this wine does not have tannin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Only for a Cajetian is this one, yeah. like a light, quaffing white wine. Yeah, but you can, you can see the differences yeah, between the west, the east, and the, uh, the middle of Georgia, Cartley, mm -hmm. yeah, mid Georgia. And for me, Zemtswane grape variety is a third wine. It's one of the aromatic grape for me. Mm -hmm. But it depends uh, the place, from which place is this Zwane. Because uh, in Kaheti, it's uh, many different terroir. For example, Zuram has Zwane, one of the, I think, the best place for Zwane region. It's very small village, maybe maximum I don't know, 50 hectares or maximum. Maximums. Even not that, yeah. yeah. It's just the road, and right side of the road, and left side it's many vineyards, but absolutely different Tsuane. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you tested the Tsuane from this Manawi village, it's very aromatic. It's like more like Muscat. Some, some people say it's yeah. a muscat. No, it's not muscat. It's a mtsuane, but it's more very aromatic grape. It's like a very orangey, like orange blossom yeah. kind of aroma yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're going to actually pour the next flight. Does anyone have any questions on these wines? Yes. Um, not on the wine Sure. So it's a, it's, it's a good question. Um, Georgia, I don't know that this is totally accurate, but it's how I've come to think of it. Georgia is sort of like the Napa of the Soviet Union. It's like the place where the good wine comes from to most people, right? Um, <clears throat> Stalin was from Georgia. He's from Gori, really near to Iago. Um, what? So, Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention him. Sorry, sorry, Malkas. Um, so, uh, Russia, you know, what, Georgia was the, the, the engine that produced all the wine that Russia drank. So, they needed to, you know, systematize it, commodify it, and build it into an industry that could feed the Soviet Union. Um, it's still, and this is really... Uh, like uh, how many million? Maybe 400 million people, I don't know, 300 million people just to make wine for them. Yeah. yeah. For, yeah. for such a small country like Georgia, it was impossible. Wine is, wine is the biggest, uh, most valuable agricultural export of the country. Um, and Russia represents 70% of the export market. So in 06, when they embargoed Georgian products and would not let them into Russia. It was devastating to the Georgian economy, which was just getting on its feet after 10 years of civil war post-independence. In 08, they invaded two, the Russian army invaded two northern provinces of Georgia, and they still occupy them to this day with an ever-encroaching border. <clears throat> and just last June, Putin uh, instituted a travel ban which represented some, something like $700 million of tourism from Russians going to Georgia. He's threatened to reinstitute re the wine ban again, which would be similarly devastating. Now, Russians aren't drinking skin contact chinuri, they're drinking commodity, industrialized, largely uh, demisec red wines, strangely enough. Um, a lot of them go to Russia, some go to Kazakhstan, some go to China. Those are the big export markets for those. Um, but it just underscores the point I was making at the very, very beginning, the through line of this whole conversation, which is that it's incredibly important to support guys like this because they are honoring a super old culture that is part of the cultural identity of a country, uh, and they're doing it in the most hostile circumstances imaginable, um, trying to find markets that are receptive to these kinds of really artisanal wines. Um, and it's also a point about to understanding what was the Soviet Union. Uh, Soviet Union means for us 
not private business. Nobody has a private business. Only government has the land, and uh, the people have a very small land near to house, and only there they can plant the vineyard. It's a point also how the people like wine, vineyard, and the tradition of the making wine. Because of this, they don't lost this tradition. Because in this small garden, in these small places, they always cultivate the vineyard and they always make wine, but they cannot sell. It was illegal. Yeah? And uh, all another land was uh, government land, and they planting what they need. What they, it means what needs this huge country, which is 300 million. Yeah? Because of this, uh, the situation changed globally, but uh, all family, during the Soviet Union, we had the... Marco, uh, Prohibition. Prohibition. Yeah. And many in Soviet Republic, for example, in Ukraine or in uh, Asia, during this uh, period, they cut many grapes. Only Georgia wants one single country when they cannot cut because they know that it, it will be start the revolution because the Georgian people look uh, for this absolutely differently. But we cannot change during the Soviet Union the global export. During the Soviet Union, each George, each family had a like a half hectare or something like a less, 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 less. But if, for example, in, if in West Georgia they had less, which in Kacheti or in Kartli, they always do the pergola, mm -hmm. because in pergola it's a little bit more grape in a small area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for example, my family had only two thousand square meters. We, are, we had the, uh, it's, it was all our land. We don't have them more. Mm -hmm. And there we had the grape. Pergola? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's when you drive down roads in, in Georgia and in the country, and even in the cities, like in Telavi, which is the major city of Kaheti, you walk down the street, every house has vines, like every single house. And they're often huge trees, like climbing up the sides of the homes or in big pergolas outside. It's really striking. And you ask, like, you know, what are you doing? And like, oh, we make wine. Every family is like that. And, and I want to just point out one other thing. The flip side of, of what we said earlier about the Soviet Union stripping away all of the vineyards is that people took the viticulture home into their little plot. And I've been told many times, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I've been told many times that that happened throughout history. So that, like, every time an invading power came in, People just took their stuff and brought it home. And I think there's pretty ample evidence to indicate that that kind of is a root of this deep home winemaking tradition that exists throughout history in Georgia. Um, sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just a minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong time to taste. <laughs> was the question? Did you have something to say? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Um, so we wanted to. Uh, Pour, before we get into Saparavi, which is the other big flight of wines, we wanted to pour three wines that were from indigenous, uh, other indigenous varieties, but less widely cultivated ones, um, from slightly different parts of the country. So the first wine is also from Vino Martville, um, from Zaza, who's a, a great winemaker and a park ranger out in western, far western Georgia in San Miguelo. San Miguelo is the region that's um, directly uh, on the Black Sea. Way, way west. Um, so this is Alatasturi, 2017. Um, could you tell us about Alatasturi a little bit? Zaza's story? Alatasturi. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you could tell us Zaza's story too if you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, once again, what I need to say, if we had this wine testing, for example, five years ago, maybe we will be have, yeah. Yeah. Bye, Marcus. Have a nice day. If we, if we have now one, two, three, four, five, maybe six or seven grape variety, it was difficult to find, for example, seven or 10 years ago in Georgia, like this many grape varieties, which is in the bottle. 
because if, if in family you can find more. And I think because Georgia is also interesting because after the couple of years, we will be have ma many different grape varieties. Georgia is a very small country, but very biodiversity. And every year in the mar Georgian market comes more and more new grape varieties, old new grape varieties. And uh, Alada story also is the same. Alada story always, everybody knows and everybody have family in West Georgia, they had mostly in Imeretian and Guria region. And, but f during the Soviet Union in Guria region, they take out all wine, all grapes, and the uh, Soviet Union planting there the tea and citrus. Yeah? Only a small part in the private family, they keep this grape variety in Guria and in Emirati region. And Aladastori for me is one of the also, uh, for example, if Saperawi and the many grape variety we have a little bit, not heavy, but uh, strong wine, yeah? Very, who has very body and long after testing many uh, tannics and Aladastori it says like French red wine more Mid in the middle of the rosé or red, yeah, and which is very, also has a long testing, but very light, which is very, for me, it's best with Taukoeri also, which we had uh, next wine in the summer region, yeah. This is um, like a, a gateway wine, I think. Um, I mean, having, to, having been with several different groups each time I go, um, this is a lot of story. The, the, whatever good a lot of the story we have is always the one that everyone like freaks out about from the U.S. Um, so this, just to give you a quick, this is all grown on clay organically um, in Roki Village, which is in Emirati. Um, full skin maceration, no stems for one month only, um, and then an additional six months of elevage and quivery. Um Let's taste it. And during the six months, he it was in query. Uh, this wine. Yeah. During the six months, and after he's a bottled. The next wine is um, from Becca Gotsatze. Tell us, Zurab, about Becca Gotsatze. Uh, um, Becca is also um, uh, located in Kartli region. Uh, he has about three hectares of vineyard and has about maybe 10 varieties of grapes. Uh, he's one of the kind of uh, uh, technical guy in natural world. <laughs> he's the only guy who has um, uh, cooling. a cooling system around the quivery. Yeah, this actually should be, yeah. he, he linked it to his swimming pool. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he engineered this incredible system of tubing, of um, plastic tubing yeah. that goes around the quivery yeah, before they're buried yeah. so that he can pump cool water around them in the summertime when it's hot and then he can heat water around them because they're giving off heat energy and then put it back into his pool in the wintertime. It's really brilliant. He's, He's an architecture, and he invented his knowledge into natural winemaking in every way. Like, <laughs> he's measuring the pressure of, of the leaves of the grapes. You know, that, that is giving him uh, information if uh, the vineyards need more water, okay? So he's, uh, he's a kind of innovator in natural wine world. <laughs> And this uh, Taukweri is one of the, my favorites I have ever had of this grape. And uh, I think the, also this cooling down system is also working. It's very aromatic, it smells, nose, you know, taste. I think uh, it's one of the best of Taukweri uh, I've had. I don't know about, about you guys, but I think these are the sorts of wines that are really surprising to people who know just a little bit about Georgian wines. They're like, oh wow, Georgia can do this too. It's really cool. Um, and these are like kind of emblematic, these two wines of where Georgia's going. The fact that like a dyed in the wool Kachetian like Zurab is making wine without skin contact yeah. is almost heretical, but it's 
cool because those wines are awesome yeah. and they form a more diverse portfolio for you and for Georgia as a whole. Um, and that's kind of what we wanted to show with the wines that we picked today is there's a much wider color palette there than you would otherwise have been led to believe. Um, the third wine, <coughs> so um, Cartley, the Alata Sturia Zimaretti, and then now we're going to Ajara, which is uh, south. This is now Black Sea, Turkish border, kind of in the very south of the country. Uh, Bibi Neshvili. Mm-hmm. Have you been there before? I've never been to this uh, No, morning. I've never been there. Yeah. Um, so this is actually the only, uh, the only wine that we're tasting today that is not aged in Quivering. Um, and it's funny, it like looks the most oxidative, it tastes in ways the most oxidative. Um, why is that? Um, a little bit about the region, it's also a very important region uh, because if, for example, east part of the Georgia is more, the vineyard is in more in, on the valley, this is near to Black Sea, but very mountains, very green, and small part of the vineyard. And uh, this is, uh, maybe in this region now we have uh, around, I don't know, maximum five wineries who bought bottling wine. Yeah, yeah, no more than that. But four or five years ago, maybe one was only two. Once again, many people make wine home, but they just don't start bottling and selling yet. And because it's, for me also, it's important, this wine and this winery, because sometimes, uh, for example, we have the one guy here, which is from uh, village Dimi, which is in Imereti. And our friend, our close friend, Ramaz Nikoladze, helped to one, one very old man who made fantastic wine, but they don't have the possibility to bottling. And uh, our friend has helped to bottling and make label and everything, and it was this amazing. This is 85 years old man. Who yeah. cannot, he could not see, and he's growing the vineyard just like that. Yeah. Just imagine, and makes a wine. He's an incredible man. And the wine was amazing, and the, the people, yeah. it sold out immediately. And when our friend gave him the money for this person who was the shock because it was something new for him. Now, from this village, it's minimum 12 producers who start the bottling wine. And because of they see the success. And because this wine also it's important because they are one of the first in this region who start again this culture to start bottling and selling. And, uh, Chaveri also it's a grape variety which is a little bit light because we, we will now test three wines which is Saperave, much body, the Tanix wine. And uh, this is very oxidated. Maybe, maybe I'm not sure, but uh, the harvest is very late in end of the November, for example. And because of this, it's uh, cold and fermentation process go very long and during the fermentation, it's sometimes it's oxidated, yeah. Yeah, in, in, in Guria, they say that, like Zureb says that there's snow on the ground sometimes yeah, when right. they're harvesting right. the Shkaveri. Right, it depends on the year, yeah. 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 Is it ever like that in Vermont? <laughs> <laughs> and also when they harvest Shkaveri in Guria, interesting thing is that by the time when they start harvest, people start, you know, the, the stores, you know, they, they, they have fire uh, in the houses from wood, and all villages under the smoke. Huh. And many of the chaveris that are coming there, it's smoky, you can, huh. you can feel the smell, and he thinks that that could be connected, you know, to the, to the, the fire. So we don't know is it true or not, but you can feel the smell of the smoke in the, in the wine. Not in this case, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah, this is like a, this is just to paint a picture for you. I wish I had slides that I could show you photos. I have photos here if anyone wants to see them after. Um, but there's like a very, I don't know, the air is like very heavy in these places. It's like humid and wet and green and jungly. It sort of feels like gorillas could live there. It's like that sort of misty, green, really verdant, awesome spot. We can pour the next flight now. 
Any questions on that fight? Thoughts you want to share? Quivery? Yeah, we'll talk about, we, well, we're, we're interspersing quivery talk. Um, well, I, these, these guys are both uh, extremely seasoned winemakers, and, and I, I did want to spend some time talking about quivery today. I mean, quivery is the, this, like, original vessel, right? It's the... Can I see it's like the womb of wine is how they describe it. Um, the heritage of quivery making stretches back the full, the full length of the Georgian wine tradition. The pips that they found that were you know, 8,000 years old were found around pieces of quivery, of old quivery. <clears throat> and the tradition of making them has not changed at all. Um, there are... How many producers of quivery now? Like eight, ten quivery masters? Ah, who makes? No, no, no it's, it's more. more. Now it's more. Now it's more. Now no. all villages. Wow, well, yeah, it's a good uh, point. Also, for example, we had uh, one village in mountains, and traditionally this village, all family, it's the same. Maybe eighty percent is the same last name. Uh, it's uh, Kapanadze. Uh -huh. You see, everybody Kapanadze. <laughs> and uh, but uh, only one or two person uh, was who continues this way, and they make not only for wine, they make for table, for plates, Storage. and like this. And now, when many people start to making wine in quarry and clay vessels, this old village start again to make the quarry. But ten so, years ago, there were so many. Yeah, one or two. In the whole country? From the, no, no. In the village? In this village. And in this village, they, don't, they also don't make their own quarry. They make the for, for water, I don't yeah. know what they Pitchers. Vessels. Pitchers. Pitchers, yeah. yeah. And for plates or piala or right. like this. They make ceramics. Yeah, make. ceramics. And because it's, now it's a different level. Uh, but we have the two, two parts. One part is a building that the produce, producing as a quarry, and one part is to making wine there. Uh, for example, we have what, which is, what, is, what is also important. These clay vessels we can meet in different countries also. For example, in Greece, in Italy, yeah, in Spain. But Georgia is one single country who keeps the technology of the making wine there. Why? Because in Georgia, in this territory, never stops the making wine. For example, in, in Italy or in Spain, they also make in Amphora or in Tinaja wine, but mostly they make or no skin or only with skin. Not many people use the stamps also, yeah? And for, for us, the stamps also, it's very important. And important also is, uh, why is there are different wine? Not only about the clay. Maybe clay it's, does not give too much for wine. Of course, we have the different clay in different regions, but different mostly is uh, when we have the underground, the fermentation temperature is absolutely different, which, which is in upstairs. For example, in Spain, they have the upstairs. It's Tinaja and Afora also in Italy, mostly they are in upstairs. Right. And when we have the, in underground, the fermentation temperature is absolutely different. And during the alcoholic fermentation around of the clay, the quarry, it's, uh, the, the soil keeps the temperature. And it's good area for starting malolactic second fermentation naturally. Because it's more easy for us to making wine, you know, whiskey contact in quarry when, when it's in underground. For example, I have these two Spanish tinaja in my cellar, and now my wife every day sends me the videos because the, it's still fermentation. And I'm afraid if they will be finished or not, I'm not sure. But all quarry in my cellar, they finish the fermentation uh, already. Yeah? It's, it's one 
it's also what is a different. And uh, different also is a technology. Uh, if we don't use the stamps, this filtration process which we talked about uh, when we start the communication don't go very well. And because of this, this all part, all different gives a different wine. You, you glossed over something that I think is interesting, which is you said clay from different parts. Do you think there is a terroir of clay? Of the course, it is. Of course, it is. It is, but uh, uh, it's a. It doesn't affect it's, wine. It's, yeah, it's a, taste, yeah, it's a question. It doesn't affect the flavor. But for example, what, what is a what is a clay? What is a quarry? What is a tinaja? What is a amphora? There is a clay, but there is another immaterial also. Right. Only clay. It's not enough to make a clay clay pots and clay vessels. We need some quartz or something. And it depends how many clay we have. Because the query makers, they know which part is good. Some part is only clay. And after they take the quartz, for example, from different places and they mix. Because only clay is not enough. But if they have the place where it's a quartz and uh, clay together, and a little bit quarter, it's more, it means the temperature of in the oven, they need more. Oh, I, I should explain this really quick. Yeah. Um, so each, I've been to three different Quevery Master in different parts of the country, and they're all functioning the same. The, the Quevery Master is going to harvest their own clay nearby, usually in like a big old Soviet truck. And they bring back the the materials to make this clay mixture and then it's produced in their house like it's on in the big pile on the side of the house then they make the they fashion the clay into these sort of they look like bricks of look like drug bricks in the movies they're just like these brown bricks and they have piles of them <clears throat> and then by hand they start to fashion they first start with the the point, the pointy end of the quivery, the bottom, and that's done by hand or on a small wheel, and then it's put in like, I mean, like sh roof shingles holding up this little thing, and they literally by hand put on like a few centimeters around every day, and it slowly builds out, and they're building like, you know, 30 or 40 at a time. Once those are done, they go into a huge oven, which is the size of like where we're sitting right now, and it's, they build a wall of bricks on the fourth wall and they fire it with whole trees into a hole in the bottom. They just put whole trees on and last for a week. They keep the fire going for like seven days to fire the quivery. <clears throat> Once they're fired, and some of these are huge. They're like, you know, big man-sized quivery. I mean, he fits in his quivery, so they're really large. <clears throat> Once they're fired, they break the brick wall down and they pull them out. And then they, uh, usually they put like a metal mesh on them, the reinforcing mesh, and then uh, lye, like a plaster on the outside. And the quivery's done. I was wondering how uh, the influence of the quivery on the wine relates as a or a barrel. Is there oxidation and is there uh, a flavor in parts as, as barrels due to the wine? Gentlemen? I would say that definitely query has no flavor as the barrels have at all. Barrels are, you know, affecting a lot, every wine. But query has the um, oxidation uh, thing. There's a micro-oxidation. Yeah, you can, you can age the wine in query. Do, do you line your quivery with beeswax? Sorry? Are your quivery lined? Yes, yes, unfortunately, because of uh, the quality, low quality of uh, queries that are made now in last years, we, we used, I mean, query makers use wax to cover the query inside, which is, which is basically stopping uh, the force to, to age wines. So they're not as good as without, they would be without wax. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, most of the queries are with the wax at this 
these these days. So that that mitigates the flavor impartation. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't think. That, <coughs> by the way, wax can. I, I have noticed that wax has had little influence on the flavor, and on the first year, but the second year it disappears. So. I don't think that there is, uh, the, when at the same time oak barrels are having huge you know, impact on, on the flavor of the wine, yeah. Even second and third year, fourth yeah, year? Yeah, even yes. second year. Yeah. So, I mean, the other piece that Diago is not mentioning, is the time? Okay. The other piece that Diago is not mentioning is that to make wine in Quevery is, it demands incredible hygiene. The amount of work that goes into keeping his wines clean and your wines clean. I mean, before harvest, how often do you have to clean your Quevery's? We have the harvest in uh, 1st of October, but uh, this year, for example, I, I remember definitely it was 27 August. Uh, and uh, I had the harvest in uh, 3 October. And during the every day, why every day? Because uh, Zura said uh, these clay vessels has the ferocity, and sometimes the problem, this bacteria come inside of the ferocity and we need to take out from there. How we can take out? We cannot use also very strong chemical cleaning material because if yeah. this go inside, we are not sure we can take from there or not. Because of this, we need clean every day and slowly, slowly go with water inside and take this problem from uh, this forest. It involves vigorously scrubbing the side of the quivery from inside twice a day, every day, for two yeah. weeks before harvest. And for example, we ha I have every 15 quivery inside of the cellar and seven quivery outside. And uh, from these 15 quivery which I have inside, I, this year I used only six. And he, f he feels that the other ones are irre irreparably damaged. Another quivery I cannot clean. Because they can't be cleaned. Yeah, yet, this year. But right. next year, maybe we will to do something so different. Yeah. We do have to wrap up, unfortunately, but I just wanted to taste through the last two wines quickly. The last two wines are both, Sapor both Saporavi. The wine on the left is from um, Kaka Chochashvili. Uh, Kaka, these are both Kahetian wines. Kaka is a very technical winemaker. Um, his wines are made in Quevery, but he does have barrels in the cellar. I'm told that this wine does not see barrel. I think it sees a little bit of barrel. Iago thinks it sees a little bit of barrel. Um, it definitely has a kind of polish to it that is unexpected. I mean, I don't mean to say that Georgian wines aren't polished, but this is a little bit more of an, what I would think of as like an international style. The wine on the right is from Nikki Antatze, who is the most lovable, mad scientist guy. He, he, he's like an improviser winemaker. He makes wine purely by feel. Um, this, the wine on the left sees six months with skins, no stems. The wine on the right sees 28 days with skins and then a year of elevage in Quevery. Um, some day, some, Iago was talking about Nikki earlier. Nikki is much beloved in the wine community. He was saying that some years he just, he might age them on the skins 10 months because he might forget about them or like, you know, just, that's how Nicky makes wine. But he always ends up making an amazing wine, which is really frustrating to everyone else. Um, anyway, so we can taste these real quick. Um, I know we have to wrap, but I just wanted to thank these two guys because they're no, doing God's work. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And I, and I really would like to encourage everyone here, if you, if you can, you should go to Georgia. Yeah, definitely. It will blow your mind what's happening there right now and the, the speed at which these wines are developing and this industry is developing. Um, and this is, a, this is their identity as a country, and we should be supporting it because the alternatives are really bad. Because um, Russia has made a ban on the flights, <laughs> straight flights from Moscow to Tbilisi. And because of that, we have lost a lot of money from our economy. So go to Georgia. And it's really important for everyone to come to Georgia and spend their time there. We will be thankful for that. Thank uh, go. It's a long flight, but it's relatively inexpensive, and they take yeah. great care of you once you get there. So. <laughs> I understand it's a long flight, but I come here twice a year. So. But, <laughs> but, but easy, easy is uh, we are a very small country. When we come here, we need, I don't know, how many months to see all country, yeah? But if, if you come in Georgia, during the one week, you can see all country, yeah? And yeah. every region is different and more much interesting, yeah? And welcome.
thank we, you guys. We will wait you. And thank you for coming. And if you, anybody wants to see photos, I have them here. You can come and take a look at you. Yeah. Thank you, Taylor. Thanks, yeah. Thank, thank you. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.